Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's Teaching of the Week. If this is your first time, welcome. So glad that you were able to join us. If you'd like to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about restoration, you can go to restorationaz.org. And with that said, we hope you enjoy this week's teaching from Landon Myers. Well, it is good to be with you. Uh, If it's your first uh, time with us, my name is Landon, and I'm thankful to be one of the team members here with Restoration, and I have no clue what to expect uh, from today, other than we're supposed to be in Exodus chapter 16. When I say I have no clue, I'm somewhat serious about that, enough to uh, not have any slides prepared other than they had this ready. So there will be no scriptures on the screens. I highly, highly, highly recommend grab a Bible, turn to Exodus 16. I think we'll spend uh, most of our time, however uh, long that lasts, in uh, Exodus 16 where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about how God had provided salvation for God's people, this uh, family called Israel, this nation from Egypt and abuse and slavery and oppression, and he did that miraculously, and they received this baptism and birth of sorts through the Red Sea where God saved them, and then they started a new life, and they didn't really know how to live that life because for 400 years, they had learned the culture and customs and values and ways of Egypt. That's all they knew at this point. Too many generations had gone by. And so God said that he would provide instruction for them on what it would look like to live life in a good and healthy and whole way, the way that he uh, designed for them to be human. And so they find themselves kind of rebirthed, the whole new start as a new family with all kinds of questions and fears and confusion and anxiety. A new nation was born. It's very similar, actually, to what we celebrated with Independence Day just uh, a week ago. All of a sudden, there's a new nation, and they know what was and certainly what they no longer want to be. But there's questions and debates and confusion and anxiety and even a whole lot probably of confrontation now between leaders and families and friends of what to do next. For us as a nation, we then had a constitution that was formed, this initial set of of laws, of guidance, this compass of how we would function as a nation. And the same thing happens for Israel. And there's something really fascinating about that that we'll see in uh, Exodus chapter 16. Basically, the first law that God puts into place happens here in Exodus 16. And the very first thing that he talks about, it's probably surprising, unless you've listened to me or been around here very much, is Sabbath. Think about that for a second. You, You come in here today and you have your own unique, busy form of a life with your own relationships and bills to pay, and money to spend, and money to save, insurance to deal with, all kinds of life, your own work schedule, family schedule, rhythms. We have our own holidays in this country. And it's almost as if sometimes it's hard if I just come into this room on a Sunday morning to sit and be, and then to be present, to let go for a second of kind of this rat race and the wheel that we are on endlessly, and to embrace the moment. And all of a sudden it makes so much sense Why over and over and over and over again, the almighty God of the universe, who saw you as important enough to give up his life for, talks about Sabbath, about rest. 
because you and I are endlessly prone to trying to be God. You and I are endlessly prone to trying to fix everything ourselves. We're endlessly prone to worrying and wanting and working instead of trusting and worship. And so after 400 years of slavery and constant work, after 400 years of constant worry and wanting something different, God goes, just stop. Did you not see what I just did? The miracles I've performed, I've got this and I've got you, so rest. That's significant. Because if you're anything like me, you probably want to ignore that command. That still applies today. Jesus makes that very clear in the New Testament. Sabbath is so good and important and essential uh, to what it means for us to be healthy in our humanity, how to relate to others, how to steward ourselves, our resources, our gifting, so much so that in the very first moment that he begins to say, here's how you should live, Sabbath is included. That's significant. Pick up in Exodus 16, verse 1. The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of sin, where everybody wants to go. The wilderness of sin sounds fantastic, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. So it's been about a month, 30-ish days, 40 days uh, since uh, the whole Red Sea, since they actually had received the the water that God turned from bitter uh, to sweet. Verse 2 This is going to sound familiar. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Last week we talked about how grumbling to God is not necessarily a bad thing. There's a time and place, and certainly grumbling should not be the only thing we do. But when grumbling is simply communicating to God what we're struggling with, the questions we have, when it's agreeing with him about how he's designed us and needs that we have, it's actually just this really healthy relational connection. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Then Yahweh said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way, I will test them to see whether or not they follow my instructions. This word test is unbelievably important. Uh, In this passage, a couple passages we'll probably look at later today, but really, almost any time in the scriptures you hear this word test, this is not a pass or fail test. This is not a get into heaven or go to hell kind of test. I think culturally we read test that way. It, It maybe would be better as like, this is a moment I'm going to teach you. This is a moment I'm going to demonstrate something for you so that you learn. On the sixth day, or this way I will test them to see whether or not they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, this evening you will know that it was the Lord Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the Lord's glory because he has heard your complaints about him. Notice, what is God's response to his people that grumble about him, to him? He gives them food. He answers their prayers. He does good. Do you find that surprising? 
I think that says a lot about how we understand God. Perhaps it might even say a lot about the quality of work that Satan has done in our lives. If you're surprised that God hears our needs and our requests and he offers, or he often answers with something good, then Satan's probably done a really good job telling stories, shifting your concept of who God is, deceiving you little by little to the point when you hear, oh, God listens to his people and does good, and you go, oh, wow, that's shocking. That wasn't what I expected. Verse 7, in the morning you will see the Lord's glory because he has heard your complaints about him. For who are we that you complain about us, Moses said? The Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and more than enough bread in the morning. For he has heard the complaints that you are raising against him. Who are we, Moses says about him and his brother? Your complaints are not against us, but are against the Lord Yahweh. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. As Aaron was speaking to the entire Israelite community, they turned toward the wilderness, and there in a cloud, the Lord's glory appeared. I'm going to pause there for a second, and we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 3. If you have a Bible or a phone, I'll give you a second to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 3. First book in the New Testament, probably three-quarters of the way through your, your scriptures if you're, you're looking. Matthew chapter 3 and begin in verse 13. We read this. This is uh, the life of Jesus now. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan, the, the Jordan River, to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. Jesus answered, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. After Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And there came a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son. I take delight in him. Listen to this next verse, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Do you see what's happening here? Israel, God's children, his family, is baptized of swords. They receive this birth through the Red Sea. They start a, a new life, new instruction. The Spirit of God, God's glory in the form of a cloud, leads them into the desert wilderness to what? Be tested. For how long? 40 years. Now we fast forward to the life of Jesus. He is baptized. There's this new birth and life of sorts. His ministry is starting on this day at this time through the Jordan River as he's baptized by John the Baptist. Immediately after that, the Spirit descends upon Jesus, his glory in the form of a dove instead of a cloud, and does what? Leads him into the desert wilderness to be what? Tested. Do we see how there's a parallel here? The scriptures are amazing in how God interweaves what his plan and story, his goodness, and his love are. Jesus is functioning as the new Israel, the new Adam, to make right what so far humanity has made wrong. Back to Exodus 16, as now we begin to look at these parallel accounts. Verse 13 in Exodus 16. So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. 
When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual, according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some a little. When they measured it by quarts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered a little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. Moses said to them, no one is to let any of it remain until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and smelled. Therefore Moses was angry with them. They gathered it every morning. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece. And all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and set aside everything left over to be kept until morning. That's different. Before, they were not to keep anything. But God makes a special, spiritual, physical, divine provision in this moment. What normally is not possible, that this food would remain good until morning, it smelled, worms came and infested it. He says, I will make sure that it is good the next day, because this day, I am spiritually, significantly, now physically, setting apart to be a blessing to you. For 400 years, you've worked without a day of rest, and that is not human the way you were made to be, so now you get to rest. You've seen me provide, you've seen me heal, You've seen me bring people back to life. You've seen me provide food. You've seen me instill plagues. Your freedom has come by my mighty hand is what God communicates. So now trust that my hand will provide for you one day a week. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not smell or have any maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. For six days you may gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Two times, God says, don't go looking because you will not find any. And he pauses. And again, don't go looking because there's nothing there. Verse 27, yet on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. But what? They did not find any. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long, speaking about the people, will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? You should hear here the voice of a loving father, not an angry dictator. He's not going, you idiots, why don't you listen to me so you can go to heaven and not go to hell? He's going, why don't you listen? 400 years and now I've provided for you, I've protected you. This is good. And guess what? Israel, God's people, his children like you and I, we often don't know what's good. We're very confused about what is good and what is bad. Not what is right and what is wrong, just what is good. One of the greatest tactics of Satan is to confuse us about what is good and what is not, about when or if God ever does provide what is good. How long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days worth of bread. Each of you stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. 
The house of Israel named the substance manna. It resembled coriander seed, was white and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Two quarts of it are to be preserved throughout your generations so that they may see the bread I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses told Aaron, take a container and put two quarts of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be preserved throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron placed it before the testimony to be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they reached the border of the land of Cana. How does Israel respond to the love, to the blessing, to the goodness the Father gives? How does Israel relate to God? What does their relationship with Yahweh look like? They listened a little bit until they received what they wanted and what they deemed was good and what they deemed they needed. And then once they've received what they thought they needed from this God, they no longer listen to him. They listened to God for the results. They did not listen to God for the relationship. How often is that true of us? They listened to God to get the results they wanted. They did not listen to him because they valued the relationship they had. The story with Jesus is quite different. 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But he answered, it is written. Now, what is written comes from Deuteronomy chapter eight. The word Deuteronomy, it's the fourth book in the scriptures. It literally means second law. It's the second recording of what happened in Exodus. And so, Jesus is quoting in reference to this whole Exodus moment with the bread. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's a few different ways we can hear that. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I fear that in our moment culturally, and maybe how we're used to church and Bible studies and the scriptures and the way that we might follow Jesus or be quote-unquote Christians, you might hear this, bread doesn't matter. The physical world is not relevant. As long as you have Jesus and his word, you'll be good to go. And that is not at all what these scriptures say. Man must not live on bread, not period. Man must not live on bread alone. Let's reinterpret that. Bread matters a lot to man. Our physical bodies matter. Uh, Another massive success of Satan is when he convinces us that Jesus only cares about the spiritual. It's devastating. Jesus made all of you. Jesus died and rose for all of you. Your physical body, your spirit, your relationships, emotions, every part of who you are. He died for the whole, not the part. Man must not live on bread alone. Jesus, in this moment, is hungry because he needs bread. He needs food. That is a real need but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. But he had his needs ordered properly. The spirit led him to be tested, and most likely it's interpreted to fast for this time. And so though he knows he needs food, bread, 
He knows that the Spirit will provide because the Spirit led him there. And so he trusts his first need more than the second need. He trusts his need to listen to the perfectly loving and capable and competent Father more than his need to embrace the urgent hunger in his stomach. Hear this, though. Both are real needs. You can maybe live about three minutes without air. Then you'll die. You can maybe live about three days without water. Then you'll die. And you can probably live about three weeks-ish, depending on the person, without food. Then you'll die. If I were to say you need air more than you need water, more than you need food, that does not mean that you don't need water and food. You need all of them. But we have this weird propensity to create dichotomies, conflicting, opposing stories about needs that we have as humans. Jesus needed food, and he also needed to listen to the instruction of God, and he did because he trusted that God was good, and he trusted that God understood his needs. We, as Israel, often struggle to trust both of those things. Israel only cared about the result of relationship with the Father, what they got from him. If we're wanting to be honest about it, Israel just used God. They did it often. If we're wanting to be even more honest, you and I often just use God. The crazy thing is, for a while, he will let us. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If we continue to read Matthew 3 at the end of the third temptation that Satan puts before Jesus, it says the angels came and served him. That word serve is uh, the same type of word. It's communicating the same idea as a person who serves you at a restaurant and brings you food. The angels brought food to Jesus because he needed food. But it wasn't what he needed most or needed first. It's what, not what he needed to prioritize. Both were needs, just like air and water and food are all needs. But he understood the order, the sequence of what was most important. Do you think you're more like Israel in the wilderness? Where you listen to God to get a result? Or do you think you're more like Jesus? in the wilderness where you listen to the Father because of the relationship you have with him. Honestly. That question is about where we're at currently. This question is about where we want to be. Do you want to be like Israel in the wilderness who listens to God to get the result you want, to get the thing you think you need? Or do you want to be like Jesus in the wilderness who knows that the Father provides everything that we need. In his timing and his way, that the Father knows all of our needs because he designed us and made us, our bodies included. It really is a pretty simple choice. Do we know how to listen to the Father? Do we care to listen to the Father? I'm gonna close with just a, a few Simple and kind of quick steps of how to intentionally practice listening to the Father. First, we go, do we want to listen in our, in our heads? Second, is he worth listening to? Do we deeply value the relationship instead of just the result? Then lastly, how? How do we go about this? A few things. 
Listening to the Father, listening to Yahweh God, listening to Jesus is no different than any other relationship. It has to start with quality time. If I'm sitting at a table having a, a meeting with somebody or just spending time, I have a, a two-phone call rule. I'll set my phone here and I'm going to ignore it unless, and maybe I should say until, I get two phone calls in a row from my wife. At that point, I say, sorry, all bets are off. I always answer my wife when she calls me twice in a row. That's just the rule. Other than that, I will ignore whatever's going on in this crazy device so I can be present in that moment. Do you ever ignore what's going on in your life to give God time so that you can hear from him? If not, you're not going to hear from him, just like you won't hear from any other human in any other relationship. Second key step to learning how to put into practice listening to God, if we determine that we do want to be more like Jesus in the wilderness than Israel in the wilderness, is to become accustomed to the types of things Jesus has said. You need to be able to answer, has Jesus said that or has he not said that? In our world, you're going to hear all kinds of things about what Jesus might like and dislike, of what he might have said or not said, but you need to just know it yourself. Not to be tested, so you go to heaven instead of hell, but so that you can know what our God communicates. We need to be familiar with the scriptures. We need to know the sound and tone of his voice. It's maybe simple to just ask these questions. Does, as you maybe hear something in your spirit, does this sound like the Father? Or does this not sound like the Father? If somebody I, I barely knew came up to me, or somebody that I knew well came up to me and said, hey, your dad told me to tell you that you should sell everything you own and give it to me right now. I would be like, that doesn't sound like something my dad would say. I know my dad. I know the types of things he says and the types of things he doesn't say. If they came and said, your dad hates you, I'd be like, no, pretty sure he doesn't. I know the types of tone and love my dad offers and the type he does not. If I was really confused in a moment about if my dad said something or not, I'd probably walk up to my sister and be like, hey, I heard that dad said this. Have you heard that? And she could be like, yes or no. Or I haven't heard, but that really does not sound like dad. Or yeah, that probably is him. This is why we have the church. This is why we're not meant to follow Jesus alone. Nate uh, spoke briefly about uh, the, the really close friendship he and, ha he and I have and that we really do trust one another. I was recently processing some things. I have a little more time than I used to because I'm no longer in school, which is great. And so I was looking at some other business opportunities that I thought were great ideas. And I love business and opportunities and building things. And so I was excited about some of this and working on it for a few weeks, and then I just, I had this moment where I processed, what, what does the Father say about this? And it was, yeah, I've made you to be good at these types of things. You can build and scale and have vision and probably make it happen. That's what I would coach someone else on. If God's made you this way, take those steps. I'm like, all right, but there was something in my spirit that just said, no, now's not the time. You need to focus where you're at. And so in a very frustrated manner, I said, okay. And then I questioned it. And believe it or not, the next day I came here and Nate's like, hey, I was sitting in my backyard and I felt like God wanted me to tell you something. So I wrote it down. And in essence, it was focus here and now. I was like, okay, that sounds like something the father said. Someone else said, hey, here's what dad said. You start to learn to listen. No, I still didn't want to listen. But we start to learn to listen, and in that moment, it's not about the results. It's about the relationship. 
and that he's more trustworthy than my desires. And he knows my needs, and he's more trustworthy with my needs than I am. Next, does the voice you hear as you practice, put into practice listening to the Father, does it compel you to fix things first and then come to God? Or does it compel you to come to the Father and let him fix things? That sequence matters. If it's telling you to fix things first, it's probably not the voice of the Father. He says, run to me and I will give you rest. Run to me and I will provide salvation. I will heal. Not you heal, you save yourself, you get it together and then come to me. That's a very clear way we can know if it is the voice of the Father. Do you feel guilt or shame? If you're overwhelmed with shame in your identity, that's probably not the voice of the Father. If you feel guilt for something that's been done, that can be, for sure. But that's very different than shame. Do you feel peace or anxiety, even in the midst of a significant challenge or something you might not want to do? Peace or anxiety, that can be an indicator. Let me close in John chapter 6. Verse 22, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people food because he knows their bodies matter. He looks out at a crowd he's speaking to that has followed him, and he goes, who's going to feed them? And one of his disciples says, Lord, it would take eight months' wages to do that. Jesus, knowing this, says, did this or asked this question to test him. What does that mean? to demonstrate that he cared and that he provides. And then he feeds the 5,000, and there's 12,000, or 12,000, 12 baskets of food left over. And then we read this in John chapter 6, verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea knew there had only been one boat. They also knew that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord gave thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I assure you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. They listened to Jesus for the result Jesus provided, not for the relationship. Now he instructs them, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set a seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus responds, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. 
Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of these he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus gives us this opportunity to listen to his instruction, not simply for the results that he will give us, but to be in relationship with the only person that's trustworthy always. So I close with this question. Once again, do you want to be like the Israelites in the wilderness and listen to God for the results? Or do you want to be like Jesus in the wilderness and listen to him for relationship because he is good? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your provision. Thank you that you created us, every part of us, that you know what is best and that you care, that you listen. You're not just put up with our grumbling and complaining, but you listen and care and provide. And so we come to you. We worship you because you alone are God and you alone are trustworthy. Allow us to know you more now. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue to worship now by taking communion together. Earlier we sang this song, this line, I want to know you. Simply put, the Israelites were not that interested in knowing the Father. Jesus was interested in knowing and relating to the Father. And then he said, I am the bread of life. And he gave us instruction, his word, to take communion, to take his body, his blood, in remembrance of his sacrifice, but also, and even more so, in remembrance that he rose and that he's with us. And the everyday stuff of life, when we wander in our own wilderness, when we wander through the good moments and the bad, he's there. And he's provided in this divine way through the sacraments that we can know we'll never be alone. So we invite you to worship now at any point during this next song by coming forward to take the communion elements. You can take it on your own. You can take it with someone you came with, friends or family. We take this knowing that Jesus is with us and for us. Let's continue to worship together. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us once again. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona, and we are so thankful that you were able to tune in. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, Jump over to restorationaz.org to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we're about. Um, If you have questions or if you'd like to connect with us, um, go ahead and hit that contact tab. We'd love to connect with you. And uh, until next time, remember... Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.